This is the Saxo Market Call, the daily financial markets podcast across asset classes and around the world. Hello and welcome to the Saxo Market Call. It's Wednesday, 8th of March, 2023, and we have a Fed Chair pal, uh, embarrassed to say, because I thought maybe this testimony would be a bit of a damp squib, uh, but he was out quite clearly hawkish, and especially this uh, sudden pivot and willingness to consider uh, that if the, quote, totality of data uh, points to more inflationary risks picking up, that he was willing to consider going faster on the rate hikes. Uh, in addition to the general signal that the uh, terminal rate could be likely uh, higher than originally expected. So uh, no huge surprise. We see the front end of the U.S. yield curve lifting on this. We see the uh, two-year up some 13 basis points yesterday and a few more basis points overnight. We see that Fed terminal rate coming in at 5.65%. Uh, now and uh, the dollar was, I think, uh, among all the you know different reactions across asset classes, the dollar was one of the most re- uh, aggressive to react. Don't know what, to what degree this was on you know key technical levels, following some resistance levels for the dollar and capitulation through that. But uh, to my mind, Peter, the the U.S. equity market, although it was a very ugly day, uh, you know where it is relative to the recent ranges is is not particularly alarming just yet. I'm not sure what what's behind the complacency is it maybe perhaps it's that fact that that longer yield is still anchored and the fed is still seeing is maybe they're going to go a bit higher but uh, as long as the long end is anchored maybe we don't need to all panic i i I don't know what your take is here but i also have some thoughts and i think you do too as well on the uh, zero dte stuff yeah so if we start with the reaction you're absolutely right we've just erased uh, the big uh, rally on friday so we are still in a in a comfortable zone i think and, and not any alarming state yet in equities but i think my interpretation is that the mar- what you need to distinguish is between the reaction in the in the 10 year and then in the front end of the yield curve so if you it's right i mean equity investors typically use the 10 year benchmark rate for the discount uh, rate um for cash flows so as because it's so well anchored, as you said, John, you don't you're not seeing a meaningful impact on the you know the, you know, the fundamental ways of, of of pricing equities. But I think what's happening right now is that there is a little bit. This is my interpretation, of course, a little sense of a of a panic from the Fed. And if you go with the premise that the Fed and the central banks simply don't have good models for uh, inflation dynamics, they got it horribly wrong um, during the pandemic and the whole. Um, the whole narrative around that it was transitory, it would come down, has been refuted time and time and time again. So I, I think if you if you buy that premise and you you take this now this panic that they they that the inflation is coming down, I have a sense that now they will do a policy mistake to to the to the other side. They will uh, take rates too aggressively, uh, too high to a high level, and that will that will just sim- simply engineer a, a recession. And that is potentially the only thing now that, that can get the inflation under control is to actually engineer by design a, a, rec- a recession because they have a dual mandate, full employment and uh, and price stability. And they have full employment for sure in the US. That's not a problem, but they definitely don't have the price stability. So they need to to change the uh, the weighting of those two and and, and go more aggressively against the, the inflation. So that's my interpretation. So if we... So if we we I think we we could see a narrative shift, John, in in the market where we suddenly the equity market gets less relaxed about you know where the long end uh, of the yield curve is and focusing on the short term, um, sorry the short end of the yield curve because that would be the signal for whether we're getting closer to a recession. 
Yeah, the recessionary dynamics will be absolutely critical. And, and on that note, uh, I kind of flubbed the order of the slides here, but go to slide five, just putting an update of something I've shown before. So the red line being the two-year rate, which achieved a 5% plus close for the first time since 2007. We're actually working into the highest uh, range for that two-year cinch. I actually going to have to consult my charts. I don't remember. I guess it was the early 2000s, probably uh, just before the, the tech bubble rollover the last time before 2007 and 2006. Uh, that we're above five percent uh so that's that's notable but also notable again with that long end anchored there's still just the sense that okay yes we're, we're continuing to ratchet the fed higher where it's going to end up this year now it's 5.65 percent it was below um five uh, percent i think at one point it was below five percent or very close to it uh, earlier this year that's how much we've progressed there but if you look at and, and this is maybe a bit difficult to understand or, or to imagine unless you're used to trading these euro dollar short-term interest rate contracts but the if you price the December uh, 2023, so December this year, short-term interest rate future versus the December 2024 short-term interest rate future, that spread has not changed. So we're still looking at a market that's saying, okay, yes, we ratchet the Fed a bit higher, but we're still going to see a recession at some point coming into view that sees the uh, Fed cutting, if from a higher level, some 150 basis points uh, next year. And that could turn into 250 basis points if we have a really proper recession we're concerned the inflation is not going to come down to where the market thinks, but the, the scenario remains the same. In other words, just uh, despite, despite the ratcheting higher. I, I think that your your comment on the uh, zero day to expiry options, it, it warrants a, a very short comment because the reason why you mentioned it is that we talked about it on the internal call. And I think if the Fed, if the Fed does a policy mistake, raising policy rates too aggressively, you, you could cause an intraday volatility event. And Kolanovic from the from JP Morgan Chase, which is their uh, quant strategist, were out again yesterday saying that we have this potential Volmageddon 2.0 in these uh, very zero-day zero to expiry options, the ODTE. And you have Bank of America on the other side saying it's not a problem, but Kolanovic was speaking to a very specific uh, setup in terms of events intraday that could cause uh, you know a big slump in equities intraday let's say three four percent and that could uh, that could be elevated or, or, or leveraged to to something far greater uh, or far worse sorry uh, because of this the size of this option market so it is something to have on the radar i don't know how much you can do about it if you're a, if you're a saxo client or a, or a client elsewhere but it just be aware that there is an intrinsic fragility in the in the equity market from uh, from this uh, option market yeah and there's there's there are many ways to look at it, but one way is people will say, well, it, it's kind of constrained what it can mean. You can see tremendous and ridiculous volatility that's that's two-way intraday, as we've seen over a couple of key U.S. economic data releases where it's up and down a couple of percent within a, a very compressed time frame. But if if the uh, if the uh, value risk models uh, show that people need to get out or, or, or deleverage their positions because, for example, the intraday volatility expands beyond a certain amount. It suddenly brings new flow into the picture, not just those that are trading and hedging those zero DTE options. And I guess that would be a, one of the significant risks that you see some new new liquidity coming into the market in, in, a, in a given direction, i.e. down would be the <laughs> direction of most risk that were that are there because of some VIR or VAR shock uh, that is unfolding. And, and to my mind, just this VIX at 19 and a half is, is quite interesting, <laughs> a very low number. Uh, here, um, but let's uh, let me just briefly actually let's rewind to your chart, uh, Ola, because it's it's uh, germane to what we're talking about here. Slide four, we continue to see these expectations uh, for the Fed ratcheting higher, and, and there you have. Uh, just take us through your 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 thoughts there on slide four and what we're seeing. 
Well, basically, just uh, just a, a different expression of what uh, what all the talk has been about here. We uh, we we got that uh, the black line, uh, basically the effective rate, uh, which has now moved up to five point six percent, as you mentioned, John, um, and that leaves the market now is looking for three points three point six twenty five base point rate hikes, and um, and with with that uh, with that. Turning up the the volume yesterday, we basically also saw inflation expectations further out, uh, long term inflation expectations coming down. They have been rising recently, and uh, yesterday they they, they reversed lower. Uh, so basically, market is buying into the Fed's uh, resolve to get inflation under control. So obviously, there is a ma- massive battle there uh, waiting in uh, over the in the coming weeks and and months. And uh, the reason why I put that in is is just to reflect also why why we saw the why we saw that reaction in in the in the gold and the uh, or the commodities in general but the uh, gold and silver where we had silver slumping uh, almost five percent we're now on slide six and uh, gold reversing uh, most of the gains that we saw during the past week and remember the gains last week was driven by real yields moving up because uh, down because break even inflation moving up um now we're getting a reversal of that at the same time also the dollar strength that you that you you mentioned john so uh we can see just how how the the dollar and gold remains very very closely tied together so um so it's going to be interesting because if there is a policy mistake somewhere waiting in in the wings then um then again you obviously should be careful not to be, get too aggressively uh, negative on on these metal markets. So, uh, so um, I think that's also reflecting the fact that the gold is is holding above eighteen hundred, even though we're in, we're in some indices seeing the dollar trade at a new high for the year. Yeah, and uh, just to emphasize uh, how profound the yield curve inversion is getting at minus one hundred and six basis points, the the depth of the inversion of the two to ten, that's a record for this cycle and a record since nineteen eighty one. And March is priced currently at plus 41 basis points. So we're getting uh, more than half uh, 50% odds that we get a, a 50 basis point move in March. And what will determine whether we get that is a combination of whatever we see this Friday with the jobs report, plus especially and probably weighing a bit more heavily still, unless it's a profoundly negative uh, jobs report, would be uh, next Tuesday's CPI data point. And of course, we'll preview that as we get closer uh, there, but just briefly to rewind back to uh, slide three and the FX overview. So emphasizing your point, all of the um, uh, silver looking very negative. It's actually the most negative, uh, or more negative, and falling broadly against all currencies with a very strong negative trending reading. Uh, some of that seeing it's both the gold and the copper side of of silver's uh, sort of exposure that is is hitting it. Uh, interesting to see again this uh, China reopening trade that is uh, just not firing right now in uh, commodities markets. Um, oil also taking it on the chin on this big rise in the dollar yesterday. And given that combination of oil and a Bank of Canada meeting today, very interesting as the Bank of Canada has tried to bring in the notion that it is going to pause here for at least a couple of meetings. And they're only priced to do a little bit over 25 basis points more of tightening and that beyond the next couple of meetings. How how willing are they to stick to their guns here? interesting today and puts uh, CAD at further risk if oil remains under pressure and they don't change their tune uh, sort of in, in line with what the Fed is doing here and, and maybe opening up some two-way. I think they need to open up some two-way guidance, uh, certainly on policy. Aussie continuing to uh, you know, remains weak on those weak metal prices and of course the dovish RBA pivot. And you can see very clearly that very strong uh, U.S. dollar reading there as some major levels gave way in many dollar pairs, especially dollar yen trading above its 200-day moving average, well above 137, ahead of Bank of Japan being on Friday. Friday is going to be spectacular for dollar yen potentially with the U.S. data and before that the Bank of Japan meeting Kuroda's uh, final one. 
All right. Let's uh, actually, Ola, why don't you round out the crude oil space? Because uh, just not not much of a sign of strength there that the dollar, uh, I suppose it was mostly the dollar move, but what else uh, was pushing on uh, crude oil so hard yesterday? Well, I think just from the uh, the chart there on slide seven, seeing uh, how both the WTI and Brent remain uh, range-bound uh, well and truly, uh, it is the, the weakness that we've seen since yesterday has primarily really been hitting the, the metal market where some of these... Uh, where we're seeing some action now, where some some levels being challenged. Uh, just keep an eye on copper as well below four dollars, getting close to some key uh, key level support. Um, but the the crude oil market, it's, it's amazing how uh, you just the the amount of information that's been thrown into this uh, market now for 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 a substantial period of time. And we all it it, it does is just keep this market uh, locked in in this range. And you can see even with the move yesterday, even though it's a three percent move. It's still well within range, so um, just to indicate a market that I don't think it's going going anywhere fast in the in the short term. There is obviously a risk of the of the recession um, with the yield curve uh, seeking that the re- incoming recession that that will have a negative impact in a week where we also seen China uh, come out with a growth forecast that was lower than probably some had anticipated, and uh, and and all in all, the, on balance, the news this week has been quite price negative, but we're still stuck here in range, so. It does. It does tell me that the underlying demand is 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 there. We it's not gonna. It's not uh, probably not gonna go away to the extent that there weren't a, a major sell off in the market. But um, all in all, any 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 uh, risk of a higher prices, well and truly, um, not until the second or perhaps second quarter, perhaps the second half, um, as we've been been talking about for a while. Just look at the uh, just a small focus today on the uh, weekly inventory report. The API reported drop last night in crude stocks. If that's repeated by the EIA to this afternoon, then uh, that will, I think, believe will be the first uh, drop in I think eleven weeks. So uh, that may add a bit of support back into the market. Okay, and then on your stocks to watch, Peter, we have uh, some negative news from uh, Adidas on their results as they're trying to write off all this yay uh, exposure. What's going on there, and what else are you looking at today? Yeah, I mean the the Adidas results today is a is a. It's a non-event in the sense that it's it's less than a month ago that they they updated their guidance. So there is a very little reaction in the Adidas result. I mean, we already we already knew that you know, we already know that the operating income is under pressure. And there is this uh, so I mean, it's a total non-event. I think mean, a little bit of a surprise is maybe the uh, the uh, the dividend that they set for for 2022. I'm actually surprised that they're even paying out a dividend. I know it says here in the text on uh, on slide uh, eight that they you know they're paying out seventy cents. Euro per share versus one uh, one sixty four expected. Um, I don't know. I don't know why the analysts would have their uh, dividends expectations set up there on the consensus. It doesn't make any sense given how much uh, cash they are hemorrhaging right now on the operating side. Uh, briefly here, um, but they've cut it down to seventy. So and uh, the share price is at down at one percent. The key question for it does remain: um, How quickly can growth come back in the China bis- in the China business? How much damage has the brand taken versus that turnaround case that is now lying ahead of the company over the next five years? And, and what to do with this Yeezy inventory? That's still an unknown. Will they try to sell it uh, at cost, just get rid of it, or will they take the full write down? That are, those are the three most important questions right now for, for Adidas. We have Dark Trace and CrowdStrike to uh, cybersecurity stocks with uh, a different story attached to them. Um, Dark Trace is a UK based. Cybersecurity company they have reported early this morning they're cutting their fiscal year 23 uh, free cash flow guidance uh, and it's mostly due to a uh, tax accounting uh, related to the 
to the to exit to their IPO. I don't think we should take too much uh, too much negativity from from this number. I think the 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 revenue numbers were actually slightly better than expected in the half year that ended in uh, in January. So so dark trace I think is looking uh, looking okay. CrowdStrike supporting this view that you know cybersecurity is just growing very fast. We have highlighted uh, CrowdStrike at a couple of days now on the podcast. Forty five percent revenue growth was, uh, was expected. They actually beat that, and the revenue outlook was above the the uh, the consensus estimates. So very strong performance there for CrowdStrike. The shares were also up considerably in the extended trading. And then C-Limited, I haven't been writing any text about it, but C-Limited was uh, one of the, it's an e-commerce gaming and fintech company out of Southeast Asia. I've been a uh, darling during the pandemic and just basically massively imploded uh, during the interest rate shock over the past uh, 18 months. They came out with a surprise uh, operating positive operating result. The market was uh, going uh, bonkers over this and sending the shares up significantly higher. And they've only cut ten percent of their workforce. So I was like, how can they? How can they turn around these steep operating losses to a to a to a, to a positive already? Doesn't make any sense. I look at the numbers. I put it in here on slide eight because initially I thought something is really odd here. But it's not so odd because uh, C Limited, which is a is, is still an early phase company here, is using a lot of uh, stock based compensation to uh, limit its um, to limit the cash compensation to improve their cash flow numbers and also to reward employees. And as you can see, I've highlighted with two red lines. So you have uh, more than a sixty five percent drop in uh, in selling and marketing expenses. And a lot of that is due to the share price collapsing at one point. I think more than ninety percent from the peak. So the value of new issued uh, stock options, uh, of course, has a much lower value than it, they had just one year ago. And that is partly explained. So the irony being here that now they post that positive result, the share price go up. If it, suddenly we have a new momentum kicking in, then over the next couple of quarters, their, their operating result will be impacted uh, in a negative way from this because their, uh, their stock-based compensation will go up. So I, th- I find that uh, as, a, as a funny funny game going on there. And then earnings to watch. Um, Slide nine. We have added that out of the way. There are no meaningful U.S. earnings to to uh, to talk about today. So tomorrow, the focus on cattle and JD.com. JD.com will be uh, reporting both in Hong Kong and in the U.S. session. And cattle is a mainland Chinese uh, listed company, the world's largest battery maker. And the share price, I've put it in here just for perspective, because we will be talking about batteries when we got the results from from cattle. So I think we'll talk a lot about batteries and EVs on Friday. And you can see the share price is coming down. The lithium carbonate price fell again uh, the last couple of days. It's, and it's really cattle that have have shocked the industry by basically crushing prices down to around 200,000 yuan per ton of uh, lithium carbonate. So that's still 30% below the current spot prices that are coming out of China. So they're really pressuring the whole market. They are They are taking the strategic decision to... Don't make a profit in the uh, in the lithium carbonate or lithium mining business, but making the profit in the battery and accelerate that market leading position. So interesting things, and we'll cover that when we get the results from cattle tomorrow. Yeah, very interesting. This whole EV market, uh, I've delved into it a little bit. I saw this morning. Uh, I was trying to figure out. I know there's a huge ramp up in production and sales of EVs in China. Twenty two percent of new cars in China last year were battery EVs. Pretty, pretty amazing figure when you think about where, where that's come from in just the space of a few short years. So, yeah, we'll definitely have to cover that space. All right, let's go forward to the uh, calendar. Uh, and actually, just uh, want to point out, we have this uh, January JOLTS opening, uh, job opening survey from the U.S. 
there's uh, some other there are other job opening surveys. Some of these private companies that uh, uh, run, of course, recruitment sites. Uh, anything from I'm looking at a Wall Street Journal, a LinkUp uh, is one of them. Indeed is another, and ZipRecruiter uh, another one still uh, in the U.S. And uh, you know these levels of, of recruitment and job openings were had soared to something like anywhere between 50 and, and 75 percent uh, or above the pre-pandemic levels uh, at the height. Yeah, let's call it early 2022. And now we're back down to anywhere from below 25% to uh, well above 25%, depending on the survey. So there's a very clear trend towards, uh, you know, less growth in, in um, or not not less growth, but actually shrinking numbers of job openings. Very interesting to follow the, the pace of that decline and when it starts to filter into the jobs data regarding where we are with Friday's jobs numbers uh, from the U.S. Certainly we've seen nothing on the claims front uh, the weekly claims front from the U.S. on the Thursdays. But anyway, today we have a chair pal out. Today, I think he's done his job in terms of shocking the market. I would be surprised to see new twists uh, uh, on what he's saying here uh, today. But we have the Bank of Canada up as well. Uh, we already kind of previewed that. And then the uh, regarding job openings uh, and uh, employment levels and payrolls, we have the ADP number, which was, uh, you know, let's recall how difficult it is for the market to wrap its head around what's going on when you have it in January at uh, plus 10 something, I think it was 106K in, in January. And then the official uh, uh, BLS survey was at uh, plus 500. So uh, yeah, whatever. We have it expected at a standard plus 200-ish today for that survey. Market could be reactive to that given where we suddenly jolted uh, everything after Fed's uh, Fed Chair Powell's testimony yesterday. It was a very strong three-year auction, somewhat ironically perhaps, uh, yesterday, despite the big new pump in yields. There's a 10-year today. That will be a focus if it uh, su surprises on the metrics. Uh, and there's a 30-year auction from the U.S. Treasury tomorrow. But the rest of the week, still chock full of uh, events, especially Friday. Again, the U.S. jobs report, but also that Bank of Japan meeting and the uh, feeling or lack of uh, feeling or sense of what <laughs> Bank of Japan Kuroda will do for his final meeting. Would he like to spring a surprise uh, or not? And what is in the price? I'm not sure I have the answers to that, but I think we need to be open to a very interesting close of the week uh, for dollar yen. And let's recall, March is often a very seasonally bald time frame for yen crosses as it's the last month of the Japanese financial year. So we have all this going on into the end of this month as well. All right, that's a wrap for today. We will be back tomorrow, of course, to see where things stand with the next Saxo Market Call. Thanks for listening. This has been the Saxo Market Call. For feedback and questions, reach out to us on Twitter at Saxo Market Call or by email, marketcall at saxobank.com. <laughs>